You're listening to the Fired Up Podcast Network. Let's get fired up. Hello, everybody. I hope you're feeling fired up today. I'm feeling fired up today. Welcome to a new edition of the Fired Up Broncos podcast. As always, I'm your host, Zach Seegers. Not as always, I am joined without a guest. Uh, no guest this week, and I think that's a good thing. I'm a little too fired up today. think I'd uh, uh, crash my Audacity software if I had another uh, uh, guest to join me on this week's show. Uh, got too much energy for y'all, um, which is surprising. Very slow week in Broncos world. Um, uh, but before we get into the show, sorry, I'm all over the place today, as you can tell. Uh, as always, find me on Twitter at Zach underscore Seegers, that's Z-A-C-H underscore S-E-G-A-R-S. Um, so go find me there. Find my writing and, and all my work over at uh, milehighsports.com as well. Um, and I think the level of energy is surprising, as I was saying, given uh, how slow a week it was in Broncos country. I mean, PFF made a joke about Locke's inaccuracy, and so we had to have a Locke-Judy debate again, which, ah, I don't know about you guys, but that's a blast for me. I love uh, uh, treading over that tired ground over and over again. But I do think there is... Um, one interesting aspect of it that should be discussed. And that is uh, the straw manning that's going on uh, on both sides. So much straw manning and like misrepresentation of arguments, which is just ridiculous. Everyone, everyone in Broncos country, I think maybe not everyone, there's crazies everywhere, but I'd say 90 to 95% of people pretty comfortably believe that Judy struggled as a rookie and needs to improve and that Locke struggled as a uh, second-year quarterback, rather, and needs to improve. Most everyone agrees on that. Now, the disagreements seem to lie in um, how big those two problems were or how comparable those two problems were, um, how much those two problems... Uh, uh, fed off each other and uh, how much um, uh, how likely it is for those problems to correct themselves and the thing is I'm a lot less critical about Judy than I am about Locke and and there are reasons for that right Uh, there's a lot of examples of rookies fixing drops early in their career you can look at the last young, highly touted receiver, this exact franchise drafted, Cortland Sutton, awful drop issues as a rookie, awful. Uh, Second year comes in, has the best hands in all of football. Uh, Now, should we expect that from Jerry Judy? No, no, he probably won't improve that drastically. But there's a lot of examples, especially under Coach Z, um, an awesome wide receiver coach for the Broncos, of these young receivers making big improvements. Now we're looking at quarterback. There's three quarterbacks, uh, two of whom are Jared Goff and Derek Carr. Uh, I don't know about you. That doesn't get me all that excited. There are three quarterbacks in the past 11 years now who have entered the league 
struggled to a similar or worse degree than what we've seen out of Locke in their first 17 games, not even talking years, in their first 17 games, and then have recovered to be a good quarterback. Not even great. Remember, I'm including Goff and Carr in this list. There are three guys who have ever had a single top 10 season um, in the past decade after struggling to the degree that Locke has, right? Way fewer examples of that recovery going on than what we need to see out of Judy, right? So that's one reason for more criticism. Number two, Judy's a wide receiver and he actually was a rookie. Drew Locke's a quarterback. And I know we like to frame it as, oh, it was really his rookie season when you think about it. That was his second season. Right there's there's a lot of reasons why Locke is getting criticized more than Jerry Judy for the Broncos' struggles, and I think we should stop equating the two, and then and then pretend like people that aren't equating the two are acting like Judy had zero flaws in his game last year and doesn't need to improve because no one is saying that, right? Everyone agrees the drops were a problem. No one's like, yeah, no, I, I think you can drop ten passes every year. That's super cool. They can single-handedly lose us a game against the Chargers. I hope, you know, that doesn't need to change. Let's keep that constant. No. No one's saying that. It's it's just such a ridiculous straw man. The problem is equating the two. And here's why the problem is equating the two. When targeted, right? And Locke didn't play all 16 games for the Broncos. So consider that with these percentages as well. Locke had to deal with a drop from Jerry Judy on a little over 2% of his throws, about 2.5%. Every time he threw the ball, or one out of every 40 times he threw the football, um, Jerry Judy dropped it. That's an issue. Now, was it like the other 39 throws were awesome and it was the Jerry Judy drops holding him back? No. No. That, That wasn't it. On the flip side, 18.6%, so almost one in five, of Judy's targets were affected by an uncatchable lock pass, right? So one out of every five times Jerry Judy's getting the ball thrown his way. And some of those times are, you know, coming from Rippin, coming from Driscoll, coming from Kendall Hinton even. One out of every five times Judy was thrown the ball last year, it was uncatchable because Drew Locke threw such a bad pass. One out of every 40 times Locke threw a pass, Judy dropped it. Stark difference. Stark difference in how how greatly one player was impacted by the other. So, to, to, I get... Called a lock hater a lot. I, I really don't think I am. But to the people on the, the other side of the lock spectrum, to me, that's why lock gets more criticism than Judy. Everyone agrees. Both need to improve. I think the, the point of disagreement is uh, uh, equating those two problems because they're not equivalent. But now that we got that fun bit of tired news out of the way, sorry, everyone, for that, uh, we can get into I, uh, the topic that I really want to focus on today which is the 2015 Broncos and the 2021 Broncos, because those teams have a a shocking amount of similarities. Um, Looking at quarterback, uh, uh, or really on offense, you know, talented, skilled position guys, um, one of the better offensive lines the Broncos have had in the past five, six, seven years, Um, question marks at quarterback. 
uh, and a remarkable, remarkable defense. Uh, uh, headlined by a, a, I mean, truly historic secondary. Uh, we have to see the 2021 unit do it uh, on the field. Right now it's all uh, projecting and on paper, but they have the talent. And I think they actually com- compare uh, in quite a few areas favorably to that 2015 Broncos team. Um, and, and in part, I'm doing this because I want to shout out, uh, I've got a cover story for Mile High Sports Magazine coming out in August. I'll also have a feature on the the Judy situation, um, looking at what he needs to do to improve going into year two. Um, and then lastly, a little projecting what each of the rookies will do this upcoming season. And we've talked rookies. I already hit Judy off the top of the show. So let's dive into this 2015-2021 comparison. Right off the bat, quarterback seems like a clear advantage for 2015. Right? Like, uh, Manning was bad, but he wasn't, you know, he was still Peyton Manning. And I do think, you know, there's a lot of intangibles, a lot of factors that come into play with Manning that are unquantifiable, that you can't really measure. What he does, um, you know, in those six other days of the week with his teammates and getting everyone ready and and the mentality he brings to a building, especially in 2015. But, and again, I'm not scared to criticize Drew Locke. I did a good bit of it at the top of the show. Lock outperformed Manning, 2015 Manning, and 2015 Manning alone. Lock outperformed 2015 Manning in almost every important statistical category, even when adjusting for the inflation of said statistical categories. Um, that's that's pretty surprising. I don't know. I uh, uh, when I was writing it and I stumbled upon that fact, I was uh, stunned that they were even in the same ballpark. Uh, Here's the comparison for you. In 2020, right, um, Locke had a QBR of 48.8, EPA per play of 0.02, and a DVOA um, of of negative 16.2%. Now again, analytics aren't gospel. I think these are three of the better analytics, and they do a good job of capturing the quarterback position. Are they perfect? No, no metric in sports, especially not the NFL is perfect. This is a very, 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 very good metric, much better than something like yards or touchdowns. And when people use yards or touchdowns, sorry, this is a tangent, I know. But when people use yards or touchdowns, you don't see people going, why are we talking about yards and touchdowns? Those are flawed stats. Yeah, they're flawed. There's still a tool we can use. but anyway, sorry about that. Uh, QBR 48.8, EPA of play, per play of 0.02, and a DVOA of negative 16.2%, right? In the league, um, among uh, quarterbacks with, uh, I forget the exact snap count, I think it was around 300, which um, there was 33 quarterbacks who met, met that threshold. So Locke ranked 29th out of 33 in QBR, 31st out of 33 in EPA per play, and 27th out of 33 in a DVOA. However, 2015 Manning, QBR of 44.2. That's 4.6 points lower than Locke. Um, and ranked just slightly better. Very comparable ranking. Ranked 28th in the league that year. Also out of 33. 
The EPA per play is a whole um, 0.1 worse. He get, gets a negative 0.08, um, which ranked 32nd out of 33 quarterbacks in the league, ahead of only the St. Louis Rams version of Nick Foles. When Nick Foles was so bad, he retired before Andy Reid eventually coaxed him to come back into the league. He goes, signs with the Eagles, and you know here we are now. Um, but yeah, that's ahead of only the Rams version of Nick Foles. So a uh, rough ranking there for Manning. And then in uh, DVOA, negative 25.8%. Again, Locke only negative 16.2%. That had uh, Manning ranking 32nd, five spots behind Locke. Um, and again, second worst in the league that season. So that's problematic. And then you consider the fact that Locke is the 2020 Bronco or 2021 Broncos floor at quarterback, right? If, if the Broncos get the 2020 version of Drew Locke at quarterback, hypothetically speaking, that should be the worst it gets because then they bench him. They put Bridgewater in. All right, let's ride with Bridgewater, who, you know, like I don't love Teddy Bridgewater. He's not exciting. The upside isn't there. But he's like the 20th best quarterback in the league, 22nd, 23rd. I think most people agree on that. And that's quite a bit better than where Manning was. What this goes to show is that even the floor of the 2021 Broncos at quarterback should be higher than uh, the floor of the 2015 Broncos at quarterback. Um, Now, once we got into the playoffs, Manning's play greatly improved. Um, Those season-long numbers are including Manning's playoff stats, though. Um, uh, uh, But anyways, he did improve once he got to the playoffs, and I do think that version um, of 2015 Manning was better than 2020 Locke. But when you look at the stats on the whole, and even when you do adjust for the inflation by looking at how those players stacked up with uh, 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 other players that season... Locke still outperformed Manning, which is crazy to think about. Absolutely crazy to think about. Um, And then I think you look at the backup quarterback position, Teddy Bridgewater versus Brock Osweiler. The advantage again goes to the 2021 Broncos. Um, Now, again, there's no way for me to measure or quantify all the X factors Manning brought. So if for that reason you put Manning ahead of Locke, I think that's totally reasonable. I favor the 2021 Broncos quarterback room because it's statistically better when looking at the floor. When looking at what the floor of what the 2021 room should be, it should still be better than the 2015 room. And, you know, 2015 being in the past, that's that's set in stone. We know what that room was. It, it can't be better. It can't be worse than what it was. The 2021 room does have the potential to grow uh, uh, off of where the 2021 room was with Locke getting better. Again, Locke last year compares favorably to 2015 Manning. So if he improves the the ceiling there, again, I don't think that leap is likely, but if he does make the leap everyone's hoping for, it's undeniably better at quarterback. Um, and so for that reason, I take the 2021 quarterback room, which is kind of crazy to think about, though I do think it's it's a coin toss. So uh, the, the, put away the torches and pitchforks and everything. Like I'm not trying to trash Manning over here. Um, looking at the rest of the offense too, like the supporting cast, I think is pretty similar. 
you know, running back talent, um, you know, that advantage probably goes to this year's squad, Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. I think people are too high on Melvin Gordon, but uh, that's a different show. Um, you know, but anyways, Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, that's a much better tandem than uh, CJ Anderson and Ronnie Hillman. Much as I do love CJ, um, going over to receiver, that's a more interesting discussion in my opinion. DT and Emmanuel Sanders, awesome well-established one-two punch. Uh, DT going into year six at that point, just about the prime of his career. Uh, Emmanuel Sanders about the same. Um, uh, they just weren't able to be taken or like uh, 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 utilized most efficiently because of what the Broncos had at quarterback. But that's an awesome one-two punch. That one-two punch is much better than um, the Sutton-Judy punch. As of now, the Judy and Sutton should continue to develop and could one day be better. But Sutton's coming off a, a ACL and I believe PCL tear. I forget what the other uh, uh, ligament he tore was, but coming off an ACL tear. And Judy, you know, has to improve this season, as we were just discussing. Um, could they surpass DT and Emmanuel? Absolutely. Absolutely they could. Um, I'm not banking on it because... DT and Emmanuel were so great. Um, Sutton does have to come off an ACL, and Judy would have to make a pretty big uh, improvement to catch Emmanuel this year. I think one day he does it for sure. Just don't think that's this year. Now, on the flip side, the depth behind that top top two, excuse me, um, greatly favors the the present day group. You look at Tyree he- Cleveland, KJ Hamler, uh, uh, Tim Patrick. Meanwhile, the 2015 unit had like. Cody Latimer, Jordan Norwood, Benny Fowler, um, uh, right? That's that's pretty clear cut. At tight end, Noah Fant, Albert Okwebenon, or the last year of Owen Daniels before he retired and king of drops himself, Vernon Davis, right? Like, that's pretty stark. Offensive line, I kind of think, goes back to favoring 2015 unit. Um, just because that, that was such a solid O-line, Evan Mathis, Matt Paradis, and, uh, uh, Luis Vasquez, one of the better interior units in the league at the time. And then Ryan Harris and Michael Schofield as the tackles were fine. Like, you know, they weren't superstars, but they were fine. And man, the gaping hole at right tackle and presently at center, like Cushenberry improved, but center could still definitely be a problem. Uh, when you consider Miners is coming out of D3 and has never played center outside the senior bowl before. Um, so, yeah, I, I think center still remains a hole. Um, right tackle still remains a hole. And the fact that uh, uh, a 2015 offensive line really didn't have any gaping holes, um, you know, I, I think gives them the slight advantage there. Defense. Now, this is what it's all about because the two teams really do come down to their two defenses. And I put this out on Twitter. And admittedly, it sounds quite hot takey, but I think the 2021 Broncos secondary is better than the 2015 secondary. And again, before the the torches and, and pitchforks come out, hear me out. At safety, the 2021 unit, undeniably better undeniably better 
in my opinion, by a good bit. Justin Simmons, a lot of people would say he's the best safety in the league. Uh, for more proof of that, just look at the Jeremy Fowler article he just released. Interviewed 50 league executives, NFL coaches, uh, NFL scouts, you know, front office personnel, players, all around the league. To come up with a ranking of, you know, the top uh, uh, players at each position, Justin Simmons ranked as the second best safety in the league, but nearly stole the number one spot from uh, Minka Fitzpatrick um, for being a much more complete player, Jeremy Fowler said. Um, Then you look at Kareem Jackson next to him. I think Kareem Jackson, both of Kareem Jackson's last two years at safety have been top 10. He's been a top 10 safety in football. How many top 10 safety seasons did TJ Ward and Darian Stewart have? Honestly. Ward had, you know, one or two. I think Stewart maybe had one. But, uh, like, I don't think Ward could do... I think Kareem Jackson could have done what Ward did. Rushing the passer, coming downhill, being physical, being a tone setter. Jackson's shown he could do that, 100%. I don't think TJ Ward could do what Jackson did in terms of, or does in terms of coverage. I don't think he comes close. Um, and, and yeah, Darian Stewart definitely isn't as good as Kareem Jackson. Um, safety to me isn't even close. Like the 2015 team had very good safeties with great talent everywhere else to help them look great. Um, I think you argue, maybe even in hindsight, that safety was the worst position on that 2015 defense. I mean, think about it. Up front, you've got Derek Will, and I, I'm saying two defensive linemen because you're playing a nickel now. You've got Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson on the interior. That's insane. You've got Von Miller in his prime and Demarcus Ware on the edge. That's insane. Plus uh, uh, the rotated rotating pieces with... Uh, Shaq Barrett and Shane Ray. At inside linebacker, you've got Danny Trevathan and Brandon Marshall. Uh, current unit doesn't come close to that. But uh, inside linebacker is the only other debate with Danny Trevathan and Brandon Marshall. Um, like, is that... I, I'd take those two for sure over TJ Ward and Darian Stewart at safety. And again, that's not besmirching those two guys. They're great safeties. Um, I don't think they come near... Uh, the 2021 safety tandem at cornerback top two guys Chris Harris Akib Talib, edge 2015 unit Bryce Callahan's awesome and gets slept on and doesn't get talked about as an all pro quarter cornerback which is exactly what he is you look at uh, uh how he ranks among cornerbacks last season with at least 500 snaps people talk about injury prone these are guys that played more than Callahan um you know Good sample size, 500 snaps, first in yards allowed. And again, stats for cornerbacks are dicey. These aren't great metrics, but I do think like the dominance across the board says something. First in yards allowed, first in yards per reception allowed, first in yards after catch allowed, first pa- or sorry, lowest passer rating when targeted. Um, one of just three cornerbacks with at least 500 snaps, to not be penalized last year. And the only cornerback with that snap count without a touchdown allowed. Third in yards per snap, right? Like he's an elite, elite corner. Um, played at an all-pro level last year and would have been an all-pro if he wasn't injured. Um, his numbers in the slot, 
first in passer rating when targeted. Um, 10.7 passer rating when targeted in the, in the slot. The second best passer rating when targeted in the slot is 53. Right? Like, that's insane. First in snaps, snaps per reception um, and first in reception percentage as well from that uh, slot area. Chris Harris Jr. is better. Chris Harris Jr. is better, right? Let's get that out of the way. Bryce Callahan is not that far behind people. He's not. I know Harris Jr. spent a lot more time here, was the undrafted rookie free agent we found and, you know, we developed. And so, like, there's some sentimentality there. I get it. And Chris Harris Jr. was just undeniably better. Did it for longer, healthier player. Callahan is not that far behind him. They are much closer, much closer than, like, Darian Stewart and Justin Simmons are. Right, I think they're similar to like where T.J. Ward and Kareem Jackson are. Like, yeah, those guys are close. They're both very good. Uh, Kareem Jackson's better. Chris Harris Jr. is better. You know, other cornerback spot: Akeem Tlaib, Kyle Fuller. Again, very close. Two very talented guys. Kyle Fuller is two years removed from an All Pro. Yeah, Akeem Tlaib. Maybe he's better. Kyle Fuller is not terribly far behind. Kyle Fuller is a top ten cornerback in the league for sure. Like the difference between the top two safeties, um, or sorry, the difference in the difference between the top two safeties and the difference between the top two cornerbacks is, I, I think, pretty big. And that's why, in part, I give the advantage to the 2021 secondary. But the main reason is depth. You know, that number three cornerback, um, you know, for the, uh, uh, 2015 Broncos, sorry. Bradley Roby, who was a great number three. Great number three when number ones and two were Akib Tlaib and Chris Harris Jr. He was a great number three. Once those weren't his number one and two and he couldn't just be a number three kind of hidden away, um, he's been a below league average starter. Um, Darby's been an above league average starter. Now, Darby's had a lot more injury issues, but Roby isn't completely healthy either. And then if you go to the number four spot, like Kayvon Webster versus Patrick Sertain, yeah, we haven't seen Sertain play yet, but that's not close. Um, depth at safety, too. Uh, that 2015, you know, like Shiloh Kayo was playing some important, important snaps. You look at 2021 secondary with Caden Stearns and Jamar Johnson back in the two up. Like, I love that, that safety depth. Um, so as crazy as it seems, I do think the 2021 group has a better secondary. I, I, I don't think it's honestly that hot a take to say they're more talented. However, and this is the very important part, the 2015 defense is still much better because of how much better that front seven is, right? Uh, talked about Malik Jackson, Derek Wolf on the interior there. Uh, this year's Broncos team has, um, shoot, uh, uh, Draymond Jones and Shelby Harris. Awesome duo. Awesome duo. Not as good as Derek Wolf and Malik Jackson. On the edge, right? They could rotate four guys. Uh, Demarcus Ware, a prime Von Miller, uh, uh, Shaq Barrett, um, who's gone on to be a top five, top 10 pass rusher in the league in his own right, and Shane Ray. 
this unit doesn't go four deep like that. Like Malik Reed is no Shaq Barrett. Uh, Jonathan Cooper and Shane Ray, I think that's a fine comparison because Shane Ray, you know, didn't was not a great first round pick. But like prime Von Miller or prime Bradley Chubb, come on, Broncos country. We're all taking prime Von Miller. Late stage DeMarcus Ware, late stage Von Miller. We don't know. We don't know what this late stage Von Miller will look like, but DeMarcus Ware was a dude that year in 2015. Like he was a top 15, maybe even top 10 pass rusher. So uh, it shouldn't just be assumed that, you know, late stage Von Miller is better than that. I think it's probably comparable, but the difference between prime, uh, the, between the depth and then also prime Miller versus prime Chubb uh, makes it so that, you know, old Ware versus old Von conversation doesn't hold too much weight. Um, so that's that's the defensive front. I think that clearly goes to 2015. And then again, at, at linebacker, like Josie Jewell and Alexander Johnson or Danny Trevathan and Brandon Marshall. It's Danny Trevathan and Brandon Marshall all day, every day. Clear cut. And so, uh, so overall, I do think the teams are fairly similar. This one might have a touch more offensive talent. The other one had a, had a little bit more defensive talent. Um, I think the other one had a better coaching staff too. Um, Kubiak and Fangio are both heavily underrated, but Fangio's underrated in the sense where I think he's a mediocre head coach. You know, like I don't think, and we've seen this demonstrated, I don't think he's a guy who takes a, a bad squad and elevates them a whole bunch, like a Belichick or a McVay or a Kyle Shanahan might be able to. Um, but I also don't think he's hurting you. Um, I think he is a fine head coach. He probably helps you, if anything, with what he does defensively. Um, I think he is a mediocre head coach and shouldn't be fired because kind of hard to come by a mediocre coach nowadays. However, you look at Kubiak, he's underrated in the sense that he's one of the best offensive minds of the past 20, 30 years and is talked about like a mediocre head coach. He's the best head coach in Houston Texans franchise history. Not saying much now, but he um, built the foundation for them, which was important. They were a tire fire when he got there. And he made them a team that could, you know, compete for the playoffs. Got Matt Schaub to the Pro Bowl. Just an awesome, awesome uh, uh, person, of course, but then an offensive mind as well. And and doesn't get the shine I think he deserves. Um, And you see him come in, and, and we went over the talent on that 2015 Broncos offense already not a talented squad they were 16th in the league in points scored and or sorry 16th in the league in yards uh, uh gained 19th in points scored like that's still <laughs> if the Broncos had that offense today it'd be one of the better offenses they've had in the past half decade it's like Kubiak despite you know, Manning being what he was and Osweiler being what he was that season and the offensive offense outside of them not being phenomenally talented. Like, yeah, you had Demarius Thomas and Emmanuel Sanders, one of the best one-two punches in football, but you couldn't take advantage of them. The running backs were okay. The offensive line was okay. Tight end room was below average. And they were a middle-of-the-road offense. Like that tells you everything you need to know about Kubiak. Also, wow, Kubiak was trying to force Peyton to do a lot of that rollout stuff that he got criticized for. Seemed to work out pretty well. That offense had no business 
being a middle of the road a uh, uh, middle of the road unit, and it was thanks to Kubiak. I think you also look at who did Kubiak have running the defense for him? Wade Phillips. Who does Fangio have running the offense for him? Pat Shermer. All right, I think advantage Kubiak. The best argument Fangio has is he's got Mike Munchak, and that is a strong argument. Um, but I don't think it's enough to turn the tide. Um, but yeah, that'll do it for us this week, everybody. Hope you enjoyed the pod and keep your eyes peeled for that August issue. Um, this was really just a skimming of the work I've done on that. Um, I, I am really, really excited about that piece um, and the Judy piece as well. I, I don't think I've ever spent as much time on an article as I'm spending on this Judy one, or it's definitely up there. Uh, lots of film study, lots of... Uh, 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 stats and graphics and if that's your kind of thing but again if you're into more of the film stuff that's there for you um, yeah I, I just make sure you go into your local barber shop your local grocery store uh, you know if you're in that uh, Rocky Mountain region and uh, look for an edition of Mile High Sports Magazine because I just can't wait to share that with you guys um, but that'll do it for us this week can't wait to see you next week and until then stay fired up.